welcome to Red Couch Minx. I'm Vivek Jacob, joined by Carl Mascarenas, and today we are breaking down Manchester United's nil-nil draw away to Chelsea. I didn't think there could be a more boring match than the earlier fixture that I saw between these two teams, but these guys definitely tried their best to outdo that one, Carl. Not much to say in this game, is it? It's just par for the course whenever we play a top six team. We just, you know, sit back, make sure we have two center backs, and then we play two more center backs in front of them, and we call them defensive midfielders. And then we just hope for the best on the counterattack. That might have worked when Ole first came in charge. But I think teams have caught on pretty quickly that if they if Bruno is taken care of, uh, nobody's there to unlock. There's a bit of nothing, to be honest with you. And that's exactly what we saw. So can't say I'm surprised. And I think it's pretty clear where United's priorities lie. It's in the top four and nothing to do with the title. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. I definitely think, you know, you look at this match and the intent just wasn't there uh, for me. I think it was more, you know, when we get our opportunities, we'll try and take advantage with of whatever Chelsea gives us. But there was seemingly no sense of we're going to take this match by the scruff of its neck and try to dictate terms. Even you can just look at the start of each halves to understand which team felt like they needed three points. I thought Chelsea started the match better, and I thought they started the second half much better as well. Clearly, they were trying to set the tempo. They were showing that, you know, we're a team that's outside the top four, and we need to get in, and so we need to try and get a, get a result. When I look at the chances that United had versus the chances that Chelsea had, Chelsea, to me, no question had the better chances disappointing very very disappointing result when you look at uh you know how these two teams started out obviously uh, Chelsea have th- changed things up under Thomas Tuchel coming out with the 3-4-2-1 some notable changes compared to their last league fixture against Southampton you had Giroud coming in for a- a- Abraham Tammy Abraham you had Ziyech for Werner you had uh, Christensen for Zuma and Chilwell coming into the side for Marcus Alonso. You also had uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi starting for Reese James. That changed in the second half due to Hudson-Odoi's injury. But uh, anything that surprised you from a Chelsea perspective before we go into how United shaped up? Not really, Vivek. Maybe I was surprised that Marcus Alonso didn't start. He seems to be in Thomas Tuchel's good books at the moment because of his attacking play and that's probably why he didn't start. His, uh, Thomas was probably looking for a little bit more defensive solidity. And that's mm-hmm. my guess. That's, that was the only surprise for me. Yeah, because both Alonso and Rudiger seem to have found favor on the Tuchel, right? Both of them have really got back into the rotation and have really done well. So, yeah, maybe a bit surprising that Alonso wasn't in there. United, 4-2-3-1. David De Gea back in the side for Henderson, Harry Maguire in for Bailly after Bailly partnered Lindelof in the Europa fixture. Luke Shaw in for Tellez. Scott McTominay for Nemanja Matic and Marcus Rashford in for Anthony Marshall. Unfortunate that Edinson Cavani has not recovered and couldn't be a part of this match. Definitely missed him on certain occasions. But that being said, I thought Mason Greenwood did a great job as the central striker. If there was a bit more help from those who were behind him, we, we talk about this pattern of nil-nils in these big matches. I don't think we can ignore the fact that, again, this is another big match and Bruno is virtually anonymous. We love Bruno. He has completely changed 
the tone of the club, the outlook of the club. But in terms of taking that next step, he has to be a big part of it. Outside of, again, that one goal against Liverpool in the FA Cup, he just has not been there. Yeah, Vivek, there's a couple of things uh, I wanted to talk about. Bruno, yes, his performance was pretty average today. There were a couple of times where we did get on the counter and we just needed him to get that ball to Marcus and both times it didn't go to him. One went out of play behind him and the other one was intercepted. These are the kinds of things which he has no problem doing against some of the lesser opposition where he unlocks it, no problem. So I think it just goes to show how much of a touch player Bruno is. He needs a lot of touches on the ball so that he's ready to go and can do those quick one-touch passes. But in games of these magnitude where, let's be honest, Kante was man-marking him the whole game. And for large parts, I would say Kante had Bruno in his pocket. Mm -hmm. You could see that Bruno barely touched the ball. So when he did touch it, it's almost like he had to get reacclimatized to the ball. And that way, his passes weren't as crisp as they usually are. So that's something for Bruno to, to take into account. I did think a couple of the tactical changes in the second half allowed him to get on the ball a lot more. But he was also taking in places where he wasn't as threatening, which is exactly what Chelsea wanted. Now, Vivek, the other question I had for you with the starting lineup is Eric Bai. He should be starting these games, don't you think? I am so confused by the lack of faith in him. When you look at the performances he put in over the stretch that brought United to the top of the table, I don't know how anyone can look at that pairing of him and Harry Maguire and not think that's the best pairing United have available to them in the heart of their defense. And so for me... Anytime that Bai is fit, frankly, you have to take advantage of that because there's only so many pockets in which he is fit, right? And so you have a big match like this where someone like him, there were opportunities in the first half, especially where Lindelof had the ball and he was just dwelling on it far too long. We heard Marcus Rashford scream at one point because he made the run and Lindelof wouldn't send the ball. On that same play, as Rashford is making the run deep, Harry Maguire even cut through the middle and would have been wide open to advance the play. But instead, Lindelof looks around, looks around, doesn't have a pass that he has confidence in making, and he turns all the way back around, and the play has to reset with De Gea. So things like that, for me, are really frustrating. Crosses coming into the box and... Fortunately, this time he was able to deal with it. There was that one crucial intervention he had when it looked like Reese James had set the ball on a platter for Timo Werner and he just got that ball away. So credit to him for that. But it makes no sense for Bayou to not be playing when he's fully healthy. For, so our listeners understand why we're harping on this point. Vivek just mentioned one facet, which is the passing capabilities of Lindelof versus Bai. Now, here's a couple of other things that we need to understand. It has a complete knock-on effect when Bai is playing. Because of his pace, our defensive midfielders do not have to play as close to our defenders, which means that they can be about 10 yards further up the pitch, even if it's just one of them. There's a clear snapshot from a vertical view of, of Chelsea and how much space their midfielders had to run into before they encountered one of our midfielders. Now, this is very dangerous when you've got people who are good with running at the ball. So this, right away, you compress the space, which means you can win it much sooner. And then if you win it, you're winning it in a dangerous position. And then they can now pass it on to one of our attacking players to unlock 
the other team's defense. Another point where Bailly is crucial is on set pieces from an attacking standpoint. When was the last time you saw Viktor Lindelof win a header in the opposition's box and try to score a goal? It's always Harry Maguire. So Eric Bailly has no fear of the ball. He's attacking it. You know, his headers might be on, not on target, but at least he's a threat in the box. And this is something that's important. Lindelof, I mean, <laughs> if anything, he took a goal away from Axel because uh, it, <laughs> he needs someone in the face the other day. But you know what? These are just some of the things that Bailly can bring. And one of the reasons why so many fans are clamoring for another center back. Yeah, just to look back on some of the chances in that first half. I mean, obviously very few and far between. You had right in the second minute itself, you had a cross come in and it was Shaw that had to nick it away from Olivier Giroud. I was looking at that cross and I was, as soon as I saw Giroud, I was like, oh my God, that is tailor-made for him to put in the back of the net. And so it was, and his reaction, you could tell. Luke Shaw gets there and Giroud is saying, oh man. <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a gimme. Yeah, and you think about that, you know, if Chelsea get that one goal early on, it it changes the dynamic of the match completely. Beyond that, there wasn't much else, but there was one beautiful play that Chelsea had in the 36th minute where Rudiger has the ball on the left side, switches it all the way over to Hudson Odoi, and Hudson Odoi sends this beautiful whipped cross across the box. Giroud extends his body so much that he ends up hurting his back and he barely misses it by, by a whisker. So those, those to me were two huge chances. So the two best chances of the first half go to Chelsea, no doubt in my mind. But we should reflect back on the 14th minute where United have a free kick and Rashford fires it at Mendy, who clearly is not very comfortable catching the ball. Yep. He just punches at everything. He punches this one away. And then Greenwood and Hudson Adoy are going to the ball. And I would say it hit both their hands. It hit Hudson's first. Yes. But I mean, it, it also hit Greenwood after that. Mm -hmm. And if anything, to me, in terms of what was intentional, Greenwood was definitely intentionally going for it. I don't think there was any intention on Hudson Adoy's part. For whatever reason, VAR decides to call the referee over to look at it. And this is where I think the problem begins. To me, there has to be a level of certainty for VAR to be calling the referee over. I don't know how you can look at that replay and think that is absolutely something the referee needs to take a look at to change his decision. So Vivek, to, on that point, I think VAR did have a level of certainty and they thought it was a penalty. But because of the slight tweak in the rules where we want the on-field referee to make the final call, we say, hey, you go review it and you tell us if you think it's a penalty. Because what we were having issues with last season was that VAR was making the call. We kept saying, you know what, they don't have the context of the game like the referee does. And so I think that VAR did the right thing by saying, hey, we think it's a penalty, but you go take a look at the monitor. And this is where the ref looked at it and thought it wasn't a penalty. I'm So I'm on the fence on this one. I, I do believe that it's soft. And so the penalty not being given, I'm not too disappointed. Whereas if the penalty was given, I wouldn't have any complaints because we've seen this in the past. And I think everybody has termed it now the modern day penalty. This, by all accounts, was a modern day penalty. Even in terms of a modern day penalty for me, when I look at that replay, it's clear to me that Hudson Adoy sees the ball and he's going to chest it. And that's why his hands are like this. 
like you and I both play the game. I I can't think of a time where we just chested it with our hands down like that. I don't know if his hands were beside his so, body though. It was really it was a fair amount in front of him. I don't know what he was trying to do. He was trying to chest the ball. You you can go watch that replay again. He's clearly trying to chest the ball, and I think Greenwood actually like throws him off because of his motion. Even if we say that uh, that, that it hits Hudson Odoi's hand first, there's no way you can tell that in real time. No. It's literally milliseconds difference in terms of the contact from both players on the ball. So to me, that modern day, days of the past, whatever it is, to me, there's no way that should be a penalty. I mean, I'll put it this way. Tables are reversed. I would be absolutely livid if they give that a penalty. Yeah, so like I said, I don't have any complaints that they haven't given it. I just think that they've set a precedent with what they've done in other games where it's a slippery slope from here on in. Now, what I will say is two things. The fact that both of us cannot agree is doubt enough. That's number one. And number two, I think it's a bit of karma because when United played Chelsea in the reverse fixture, Chelsea uh, were claiming for a penalty where Harry Maguire was all over Cesar Azpilicueta in the mm-hmm. box. That looked like a penalty that wasn't given. So, you know, when we say things even out of the season, that's just a case in point. So moving on to the second half, uh, right off the bat, Chelsea are forced into a change. hudson Adoy comes off, Reese James comes on. He had a great game against United the first time around. I thought he was a huge influence on this match after coming on. Really impressed. But quickly after the second half resumed, it was the threat on the left side that made an impact on the match. 48th minute, Chilwell booms down the left, cuts it back, and Ziyech powers a shot. And this might have been De Gea's one of, if not best save of the season to me. That is pure reflex. And on top of that, to have the strength to get the ball out the way he did and to not leave it in the danger area. I thought that was a tremendous save. Right at the start of the first half, Luke Shaw coming through. You look at the start of the second half, David De Gea making that save. I mean, two game-changing moments for me. Yeah, De Gea made a fantastic save. And then right after that, there was a block followed up with Luke Shaw. Mm -hmm. Right, So there was a double save that could have changed the complexion of that game completely. I think David De Gea going the other way and then sticking his hand out. He's probably not going to get as much credit as he deserves. Probably going to focus more on that errant pass that he had in the first half. But I think that's just the nature of the business when you're the United number one. But that was a fantastic save to keep the side in it because the way that game was going, all they needed was one goal to win that game. So uh, kudos to David. The nature of the business when uh, United's number one and the number two is a young Englishman. Yes. <laughs> Uh, so even going forward, uh, you know, 59th minute, I thought uh, was a really positive sign that was kind of a reflection of Daniel James's performance, you know, maybe snuffed out a little bit offensively, but he gives you so much defensively in terms of his tracking back, in terms of his pressing. And so he wins the ball and then he plays a nice little one-two with Mason Greenwood. And Greenwood, you know, we've seen how sweetly he can strike the ball he struck it sweet it just happened to go just wide over the left post so Vivek this is one point I I want to because I want to be as objective as possible when we're comparing Martial to everybody else because we do give him quite a bit of slack so this is what I'll say when it comes to Mason 
His movement was fantastic, way above and beyond what Martial's been giving us. However, Mason's holding of the ball with his back to goal was pretty poor. And that's one criticism we had of Martial. I didn't think Mason did well in that regard. When he did get a touch, he was always passing it right back to our center backs. And this is where, you know, the Edison Cavani manages to completely deaden that first touch and is able to play it left or right as opposed to backwards. And that's what really sets our tempo going forward. That's where Bruno can give that nice chip, that one-two. And I think that's one part that's missing. Hey, Mason's a young kid. He's going to work on that. From what we've seen, based on when he first came to the first team and now, he's improving different facets of his game. Time and time again. We said that his head's always down. There's no assists in his game. Guess what happened throughout the season? He's now got that into his game. So that's what's very positive. But I just want everybody to get a complete perspective of Mason's game today. Do you agree, disagree? No, I think you make completely valid points. In terms of the hold-up play, I think there are still aspects where maybe he's not as confident just because of his strength at this stage of his career. And mm-hmm. so that's something he'll have to continue to work on. You know, I, th- I think of someone we saw in the Europa fixtures and in Adnan Yanuzai. And I think of what he looked like when he was making his debut and that first season for United. And I look at him now and I'm like, wow, that kid's grown up, right? Like you, you can't just bully him off the ball. I feel like this is just a matter of time for him. You're right for pointing those areas out for him to continue to work on and develop. In terms of movement, in terms of build-up play, I still would say that it was definitely a level Upgrade. above what we expect from Anthony Marshall. I think your example of Yanuzai is a fantastic example. That is that is spot on because there were certain deficiencies in his game that he's worked on. You could clearly see it the way he was able to hold on to a ball and just wriggle out of tight spaces that I really loved when I watched the Sociedad that game. But yeah, you know, I was so happy. I wanted Mason to continue to be on the field just because of his movement. There was one point where I think Daniel James had it and Mason purposely made a run away from the goal to take a man away. And then James got the shot off, which was blocked and went for a corner. But Mm -hmm. that's just, you know, having high game intelligence to be able to do that. You know, if we had some other strikers on the pitch, you'd probably just moan and sulk that you didn't get the ball when realistically your job wasn't to get the ball in that area, right? So these are just areas, Vivek, that you pointed out where Mason's got that game intelligence. Yeah, and then another play I'd point out too was after the 70th minute, I believe, uh, Daniel James has the ball on the right. And Greenwood can see that cross coming into the near post. And so he darts in. It takes a stretch from the defender to get to it first. But we just saw a week before where the same play happened for Marshall. And the defender is able to clear it out easily. Right? There's no stretch needed or anything like that. Because Marshall is not even close to anticipating that. So those are, those are the encouraging signs. And I do feel that long term, him as a central striker is the best position. Especially with his ability to shoot with both feet. And so I, I definitely would like to see more opportunities for him as a central striker uh, so that he can accelerate that development. Looking later on in the match, because again, there wasn't too much uh, to talk about. 89th minute, United have a counter and you have virtually everyone that's not Scott McTominay rushing into the box. Scott McTominay has got the ball on the right side of the pitch. All he has to do is send, you know, one of those whipped balls in that corridor of uncertainty between the goalkeeper and the defender. And instead, he basically hits it flat. Behind everybody. 
Yeah. Exactly. And Daniel James has to go recover it. And then it comes to nothing. <laughs> As Daniel James is trying to find Luke Shaw in an overlap and he doesn't see it. Goes out for a goal kick. That was a big, big chance, man. That was a huge chance. That's exactly what United were set up for, right? It's one of those counters where Chelsea got their free kick wrong and we were mm-hmm. on our bikes off of the races. Very, very smart run from Scott McTominay because he was... Just ahead of Aaron Wan-Bissaka when that break started. And then Fred did fantastically well to find Scott who got on his bike. And you can just see his fitness. Because to make that kind of run in the 89th minute is not easy. All he had to do was that final pass. Which uh, basically what Reese James was doing the whole of the second half. I think we would have had multiple options to score that goal if it was in the right area. The corridor of uncertainty like you said. So unfortunate. But you know what? That was the nature of the game. So... Unfortunately. I mean, Chelsea, I speaking objectively, I think Chelsea would have been hard done by if United would have got a goal there. But it ends nil-nil. Another nil-nil in the bag for United against a top six side. When you look at all these results as a whole, remember when Ole's reputation, when he came to the club, it was like, we're winning all these matches against the big teams. Why can't we get results against the small teams? And it was basically Ole's counter-attacking style because all these big teams would attack and would open space up for United. And then against the smaller clubs, they're the ones sitting back. So they're the ones who are occupying the space and not opening up anything for United. I would say this season, obviously you had the disappointing result against Sheffield United and WBA. But outside of that, I feel like United have consistently got results against those middling teams, the lower tier teams, and even those teams outside the top six. But where has it gone wrong against those top six? I think that the United think tank has gone and looked at their schedule this season. And they said like, hey guys, if we can win the teams against the bottom half, we stand a very good chance of making the top four. Now, at the beginning of the season, let's be realistic. I don't think United had any dreams of winning the title this after the, the way Liverpool played last season and then with the signings that City made and Chelsea, for that matter. So they're mm-hmm. just looking at, okay, let's maintain what we did last season. Once we bring in some new players, we can go for the title next season, but we need to improve, win a trophy in one of the cup competitions. And so they had a clear game plan that we are not going to lose against these bottom half teams and we need to win those games. And if we can get a point from every one of these top six teams, we will attain our goal at the top four. I think that's the clear game plan based on what I've seen. You look at the number of teams that have been there for the taking. Liverpool playing with an absolutely depleted team. We went in with a completely negative mindset of not conceding a goal and not losing the game. Then you saw Man City, who have different aspirations, play a very similar Liverpool team, showed them the respect they deserved in the first 30 minutes, slowly grew into the game, and guess what happened? Attacking substitutions came in, and they blew them away. United played Arsenal, who were on the ropes, didn't know what was going on. Similar mindset. Let's just sit back. We lost 1-0 to Arsenal, and we tied 0-0 to Arsenal. I can go on and on. I was so frustrated after watching this game because it is just the same thing over and over again. Vivek, I told you I needed five minutes before I get onto the podcast because I was absolutely livid with what I saw out there. I still am, to be honest with you. The fact that Ole does not want to take off one of his defensive midfielders to try and go for the three points, 
don't come afterwards in the press conference and say, yeah, we're looking for the three points because you had the chance to do it. You could have brought somebody on from the bench. You had Van der Beek on the bench. So what what are we doing here? It's clear as day that you want to get the point and move on. The same story is going to happen against Man City when we play them a week from now. We're just going to sit back and try to not concede a goal. This is obviously a Man City team who is on a streak and a half. That's going to be very, very difficult to shut them out. I don't know how he's going to play that one. He's going to he's gonna say all the right things about it being a derby game, about, you know, bleeding for the shirt, things like that. The proof is in the pudding with the tactics on display, which have been extremely mediocre. All your attacking players, your pace, everything. I mean, I don't understand why United weren't targeting Cesar Azpilicueta in that game. Especially when hudson Adoy was attacking so much and Cesar had to play Rashford one-on-one. You saw the few times that Rashford went up against him, he was nervous. He was willing to take him down if he had to. We barely saw that matchup. Why? Because we were more concerned about defending. No, I think you've summarized it beautifully there. That was a classic Carl rant in the books. Uh, <laughs> glad everyone has that to enjoy because there wasn't much to enjoy from this match. I, I knew that you would point all of these things out. And I think that is the right lens through which to view it. And I just wanted to offer maybe from a different perspective, you know, what are the things that have impacted Ole specifically in this match? I think everything you said, big picture is true in terms of the intent, in terms of needing to come out uh, with the right intensity uh, and dictate the tempo. Specifically, when I look at this match, no Cavani, no Pogba exposes our lack of quality depth. And so you have a situation where Bruno is being man-marked, but United don't have anyone else to depend on, to create. If you don't have that, then it becomes very difficult, right? You look at why is City on top of the table right now? Aguero has barely played a game this season, but they have someone like Gabriel Jesus that can step in. Kevin De Bruyne gets injured. They have someone like Ilkay Gundogan that can come in and go on the run that he went on. Riyad Mahrez doesn't play every week. Phil Foden doesn't play every week. These are quality, quality players that don't get to play every week. And that is the big difference between a champion squad and a team that's fighting for a top four spot. And frankly, that's why we see Liverpool struggle this season. Their quality has has been on the shelf. And so now they're being exposed because they don't have uh, enough in reserve to step in and help. So I think that's where United get a bit exposed. But I do agree, you can still send a message with your intent. You can still bring on a Donny van de Beek for a Fred or a Scott and say, hey, I'll do the best I can with what I have. At the end of the day, I want to win this match. You can still show that intent. And that wasn't shown. So big picture, I, I, I think you've hit on really important points about the mentality that needs to switch for Ole and United. But I think going into the summer, United have to recognize that they just don't have the resources to put up a serious title challenge yet. Let's hand out some awards. Best player on the pitch, who, who's getting the catch in the collar for this? This was a hard one, Vivek, because nobody really stuck out. But you know what? I've been harsh on this guy. I've called him a one-trick pony in the past. But I was very impressed with what I saw today from him. Daniel James, not only did he defend well, given his size and how much he can do, but I was so impressed with his attacking play. In the past, he would just put his head down. He had speed and he would run into no man's land and then across into no man's land and then 
We're just looking at this guy and we're thinking, okay, this guy has championship player written all over him. And then you see him today with some of the nice one-touch passing, you know, with him and Mason, they have a good connection. And then him on the outside taking on Rudiger and a fantastic ball into the uh, box where, like you mentioned, Mason was making that near post run. Mendy fumbled the ball, but that was a fantastic cross. If Edinson Cavani was on the pitch, I'm pretty sure he's getting on the end of that just because he's a little quicker when it comes to recognizing where the ball's going to go. So for all those reasons, I really, really like the way Daniel James played. And so I wanted to give it to him. Who did you have in mind, Vivek? No, I think I'm with you with Daniel James. I think the only one who could maybe competed with him was David De Gea. I thought, you know, that that save he made was ridiculous. And then outside of that, I thought he was just solid. Um, I thought his his ball distribution was underrated. I thought there were several times where, even towards the end of the match, where he had a couple of throws that were able to spring United forward. You know, maybe that's the type of thing that goes unnoticed. But you, I definitely feel like he's tried to make strides in that area of his game. So he was the only one that I'd maybe put close. So yeah, Daniel James can take the Canton a caller. Beckham Boot, probably a few candidates. It's probably a bit harsh, but I, I think I lean towards Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. You know, the preparation for this match coming into uh, this fixture. We said this from the beginning, right? When we previewed the match in the podcast before that intent was going to be a big thing. Chelsea is a side that needs the three points. Are you going to match that or are you going to sit back? And I thought United showed the same intent that we've seen in all these zero zero matches. And so, you know, fool me once, as they say, <laughs> I would say Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at some point you have to change at some point you have to show that you, there is a level of progression. You know, we could excuse it in the beginning because we said, you know, oh, that 6-1 defeat at Tottenham will be weighing heavy on his mind. That 3-2 collapse against RB Leipzig, that'll be weighing on his mind. And so we've bought him time and we've bought him time. But I think he's run out of time in terms of having the same approach match after match in, in the big six matches. Vivek, you know, I was struggling to find a Beckham boot just because there was no player that was extremely subpar. And I think it's a really good call-out from you that Ole deserves it just because... I think the players carried out their instructions to the T. They did what was expected of them. They didn't concede a goal. They defended well. Okay, from an attacking standpoint, I thought Scott and Fred needed way too many touches to get the ball moving forward, and there was too many sideways passing. Mm-hmm. But I think that was part of the strategy. I mean, let's be honest. We've talked about this before. Fred and Scott are not known for their uh, forward passing abilities. That's where Paul Pogba added a completely different dimension. So I'm with you on that one. I think that Ole deserves the the Beckham boot just because, hey, you've got to have more than one plan in your your basket of tricks. You know what? Those counterattacking days uh, of beating PSG and Man City and Chelsea, those are a thing of the past now because you've been in the role for a while and you've got to evolve with the times. That takes care of that. In terms of the noisy neighbor, who do you have for that? For me, my two candidates, because I didn't think Chelsea were great going forward, and Hudson-Odoi, who did look good, only played one half. Uh, I thought it's between Kante and Kovac for me. Uh, Kovacic, sorry. Uh, they did their job. I mean, Kante had Bruno in his pocket for basically the whole game, and Kovacic cleaned up all the other messes that would put potentially could pose problems. So it's one of them for me, Vivek. Uh, so I'll let you decide. 
I'll probably lean towards Kante. You know, him man-marking Bruno, taking him out as much as he did. Full credit goes to him. Kovacic, you know, I think coming to Chelsea, he was expected to offer a bit more on the attacking front. And, you know, a couple of those shots that I saw from outside the box, just really tame. He didn't look like it had a chance at all of just testing the air, let, let alone finding the back of the net. So things like that, you know, I, I feel like he should be able to offer more, especially when you've got Kante doing the hard yards. Not to say that Kovacic didn't, but uh, yeah, I'll probably lean towards Kante with that one. If, if you could take the combined 90 minutes of what hudson Adoy did and what Reese James did, I think both those guys would have a really good shot. But as you said, 45 minutes for each isn't enough. So yeah, I'll, I'll agree with going with Kante. We can... Move ahead to the next match, I think. And that is coming up on Wednesday, March 3rd. Crystal Palace away. What do you expect from that one? I mean, Crystal Palace have been pretty poor of late, if I'm being honest, with Wilfred Zaha out injured. Uh, a lot of their attacking threat has been nullified. Yes, Benteke gives you the the, the size when you, you need it from set pieces, which is probably going to come in handy against United's fragile backline especially from set pieces. So that's one area to watch out for. But apart from that, it should be pretty straightforward for United uh, as long as they can get that first goal. If you reach the 60-70th minute mark where it's still nil-nil, I could see Crystal Palace really batting down the hatches and going for that draw uh, and then just hoping for a set piece from anywhere in our half to try and make it count. So that's how I see this game going. What about yourself? For me, I want to see a statement performance. I want to see revenge, basically, for the start of the season where Crystal Palace came out and looked clearly the better team. United looked undercooked. Obviously, you know, they started their season a week later. And so maybe that having that first match in the, in the bag helped Crystal Palace a, a little bit. But I, I want to see uh, that the players remember that match. And they say, hey, we're not the same side that we were at the start of that, uh, the season and really come out and, and dominate this one. That's really all I want to say, especially after this Chelsea performance. Hopefully that's what happens. Uh, any changes that you're leaning towards for uh, the Wednesday match? I think probably Martial will come in. I don't know if Cavani is going to be fit. If he is, he should play. But I see the same back line. I'd, I'd say maybe Matic comes in for Fred, but... That's that's about it. I don't see too many other changes, to be honest with you. Does Bayi get in? No. <laughs> I see we're resigned to that now. Um, yeah, I just there's no point, honestly, beating a dead horse at this point. It's, uh, you know what, Vivek? I hope you can use some of your uh, journalist connections to just get one of the reporters to ask Ole, hey, what is your thought process in picking Lindelof and Bayi when both of them are fit? I would really love to hear the answer to that question. Well, I mean, I'm pretty sure his answer is going to be, look at all these big six matches where we've had clean sheets. (laughs) (laughs) Frustrating as it is. United, I mean, at the end of the day, they stay second in the table. Actually gained a point on Leicester. Gained a point because Leicester fell to Arsenal. And West Ham lost. How the tables have turned, right? We're thanking Arsenal for pulling off a result on Leicester so that we can maintain a top four spot. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, 26 matches, 50 points. 
it's funny, you know, there was a stage where United were well above that two points a match. And we were saying that's really the mark of a strong team. And that hasn't been the case. I mean, they've dropped below that now. So obviously a, a serious dip in form. That swagger that was there at the halfway point, I really don't see it. And they're back to their up and down results, basically, right? If I'm being honest, the nil-nil draw that we saw with Sociedad, that was kind of what I expected in the first leg. The four-nil the four win was kind of an anomaly. And I think Sociedad kind of handed that result to United with the tactics they employed. The nine-nil over Southampton, that looks more like an anomaly uh, compared to all the other results that United have been putting in lately. So they're having to find that rhythm again, having to find that swagger again. Maybe this is uh, the Paul Pogba absence. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good way to end the show. A reminder, we are on Twitter and Instagram at RedCouchMex. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and join us after every match. Reviews and ratings are greatly appreciated. On behalf of Carl and myself, thank you for listening to Red Couch Manx.